Hello, and welcome to Doc Tell Me More, my podcast where I take an in-depth look at documentaries. My name is Mike, I am your host, and this is episode 48 of Doc Tell Me More. And as always, I like to thank you guys for listening, whether this is your first time or 48th time. And I just feel greatly blessed for the number of people that have been listening to not only my recent podcast, but I've also seen my numbers on my earlier podcast go way up as well. And it just makes me feel really good that there's people out there listening to this podcast. And again, my hope is that you can learn a lot about something every time you listen in. So I'm very humbled and very grateful that you guys take your time out of your days to listen to my musings on the different things I talk about. So thank you very much. And I do encourage you to you know, if this is your first time listening to me, feel free to finish this episode. Then I really encourage you to go back and look through all my different episodes I have from topics on baseball, Civil War, The Last Dance, and other, um, Bill Russell, uh, World War II. Um, just a lot of different topics out there. I just really um, encourage you to go back and listen to if you haven't already. Well, in this episode of Doc Tell Me More, we are in the middle of looking at The Roosevelts, which was a documentary that Ken Burns put out uh, a little while ago, which chronicles uh, Franklin Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, and how they affected the U.S. and their mark on history over about a half a decade span, just this one family. Um, Lost my train of thought there. But anyways, uh, we've been talking about this. This is about the third week in a row we have been tackling this documentary. And like I do, if this is the first time you've been listening to Doc Tell Me More, my purpose of my podcast is that I watch a documentary and then I dive deeper into the content. Talk about some of the things that weren't talked about or just dive deeper into something that was just glossed over. So that's what you're going to get from me here in this episode. And we are on episode three of The Roosevelt's. And so we are going to put our attention to the topics here and get going. A quick reminder that you can follow me on Mastodon at DocTellMeMore at Mastodon.World. Would appreciate a follow. I will follow you right back. But anyways, let's dive right into uh, episode three of The Roosevelt's. And this episode uh, covers just the the 1910s. Um, which is coincides with uh, the end of Theodore Roosevelt's life and kind of the beginning of Franklin Roosevelt's um, ascendancy into politics. Eleanor Roosevelt herself is, for the most part, um, you know, married to Franklin and having kids at this time. But she will eventually have a greater role um, in politics, especially as FDR rises later in the 20s and 30s. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was coming off a decade where he was extremely popular. He essentially was president from most of the night from 1901 to 1909, so most of that previous decade. And he was a popular president. He was, you know, a war hero as well. And this next decade wouldn't be so kind to him. Whereas we kind of see FDR, as I talked earlier, kind of start to rise. And you can see the glimpse of greatness that he would have now, as I have mentioned the last couple episodes, as we are looking into the Roosevelt's, uh, I, it's impossible for me to get through every single topic that is covered in this episode because Franklin and 
and Teddy and Eleanor were very interesting, unique people. And so what, I, what I've done is I have picked three topics at each episode that I want to dive into deeper and really focus on those. I think that's just the best use of our time. And hopefully that you guys have enjoyed that format the last two episodes. Because like I said, I could spend five or six hours an episode um, here on Doc Tell Me More on one of the episodes of the Roosevelt's. And then that's just not really what I want to do and probably not what you want to hear. But anyways, we're going to talk about three things that were really, in my opinion, interesting to dive into deeper. And they are, just to kind of look ahead to this next episode, is we're going to look at um, the election of 1812 with Teddy Roosevelt trying to jump back in and become president again. Then we're going to look at Teddy Roosevelt's um, Amazon ex er, um, Brazilian uh, expedition in the middle part of the decade, which was interesting and also almost disastrous. Then towards the end, we're going to take a little bit of a look at where Franklin Roosevelt stands here at the end of the decade. So sit back and relax, and we'll dive in here to the Roosevelt's Episode 3 here on Doc Tell Me More, Episode 48. So the election of, eight, excuse me, of 1912, one of the more interesting elections in the United States history, and also a generally fairly, um, to an extent, close race, but very acrimonious race as well. And in this race, you have really four candidates um, running for office. People mostly remember three, but there are actually four people running for the, the office. You had president at the time, William Howard Taft, who was Teddy's hand-picked successor. Um, and he had been in office for four years. You had then Teddy Roosevelt himself, who... Um, was unhappy with Taft in his four years and wanted the presidency back. You had Woodrow Wilson, who was a governor uh, at this time of New Jersey, and he was the Democratic uh, candidate. And he also had Eugene Debs, who was part of the Socialist Party, um, which existed for a time here in the United States. So he had four candidates vying for the presidency. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Taft was Roosevelt's hand-picked successor. Roosevelt had served as president from 1901 to 1909, and after he was elected in 1904, he infamously stated he would not seek re-election in 1908. And he pretty much almost immediately regretted that decision, almost from the moment those words left his mouth. Um, and you might be asking, well, you know, why, why would he regret that? Because, you know, from 1901 to 1909 is eight years, and Ever since George Washington stepped on that after two turns, people had pretty much followed that precedent. Well, if you remember, Teddy Roosevelt, um, his first term was a fulfillment of McKinley's term after McKinley's assassination, where he served, oh, essentially three plus years of McKinley's term. So Teddy Roosevelt could have run again in 1908. Um, by justi and justified that by saying, well, I'm only serving, these are my two terms. And the first three years I served was McKinley's term. And a lot of people feel like he could have gotten away and justified that. He was a very popular president. And uh, the Republican Party was dominant at the time still, as we look at the post-Civil War um, um, era where Republicans dominated. Um, so he could have justified running again in 1908, but he didn't. And so Roosevelt picked Taft as his successor, who 
was not only his secretary of war, but was also a close friend. And he ele- picked him, and Taft was elected president in 1908, and because he expected Taft to continue with his policies. But Roosevelt grew dissatisfied with Taft's performance. Now, the initial split happened when Taft fired the U.S. Forest Chief for insubordination, which was, looking back on it, probably pretty justified. Now, it was on this incident where Teddy Roosevelt felt that Taft had turned his back on Teddy Roosevelt and his agenda. Taft also signed a new tariff, the Payne Aldrift Tariff, which raised some tariff rates and lowered others, and which many people felt, including Teddy Roosevelt, went against the 1908 party platform of tariff revision. So he did a, Taft did a couple things that Roosevelt disagreed with. Um, and Roosevelt felt like this went against his kind of progressive agenda. Now, this isn't really entirely fair. Uh, Taft, as president, actually broke up more trust than Roosevelt. Roosevelt is looked upon in history as the big trust buster. But Teddy Roosevelt felt that there were actually good and bad trust. And so he, he broke up some and let others remain, while Taft did not make that distinction. Um, so Taft actually broke up more um, trust than Roosevelt, but people forget that. In reality, as, as Teddy grew more and more out, out of office, as he became further and further from 1908, he veered actually more and more to the left and had more and more progressive policies, which was kind of out of the mainstream of Republican politics. Um, and that naturally left a break between Taft and Roosevelt. Now, in the 1910 election, to add kind of more salt to the wound, the Democrats gained the House for the first time since 1895, and the Republican majority in the Senate was cut. So you kind of saw with Taft uh, that he was maybe a little, uh, he wasn't as popular as Roosevelt, he was a little vulnerable to defeat in 1912. And that certainly... Uh, motivated Roosevelt to get back into the ring. Um, so um, Teddy Roosevelt ended up challenging Taft for the Republican nomination. He justified running again by saying the informal no third term rule was about not serving three consecutive terms, which I find that hilarious. That's just a classic politics thing of saying, oh, well, this rule really means this. Um, and so I just find that funny. Um, um, so what was unique about the Republican nomination in 1912 is that states held primaries for the first time. Um, and this was a progressive reform that, uh, the progressive part of the Republican party pushed for, which is very common now, obviously in politics, but it was new back then. And Roosevelt in the primaries did very well. He won 281 delegates compared to Taft with just 71 delegates. But that was not the only way to gather delegates. You also had um, states select delegates just at the state conventions when they they weren't necessarily elected. Um, Kind of party bosses would pick delegates. So at when delegates were selected at state conventions, those were overwhelmingly for Taft. And Taft ended up 
winning the overall nomination. He needed 540 to win. Taft won 566 to 466, pretty much because he won those state delegates. Now, what really irked Teddy Roosevelt and some of the other progressives in the party was that 200 of those delegates came from the South. And Teddy considered those worthless because at the time, the, the South was part of what was called the Solid South, and that pretty much voted solidly for the Democrats since the Civil War. They pretty much, it was the old Confederacy, those states pretty much bandied together um, towards each other, and they just voted Democrats. So if you're a Republican candidate in the South, you were pretty much worthless, honestly. You're probably not going to get elected. And so Roosevelt and his followers really thought these 200 delegates that helped push Taft over and to win the nomination um, from the South were pointless. That They weren't necessary because they weren't really valuable to the party. Um, another interesting aspect about this Republican nomination was that Teddy Roosevelt had lost to Taft two to one in New York City, which was kind of interesting because that's where Roosevelt was from. He termed it fraud. And of course, you know, you hear that now in politics and it just sounds like being a sore loser, which maybe that was part of it here. But there were instances where ballots were literally 14 feet long with three feet of blank space between like Taft and Roosevelt on this ballot, which confused people where they threw parts of the ballots away. So can you just imagine having a ballot that's 14 feet long? <laughs> so there's probably some shenanigans going on there as well. Um, but regardless, Taft ended up winning the Republican nomination because of the strength of those delegates selected at the state conventions. And then when this happened at the Republican National Convention, Teddy Roosevelt declared he would start a new progressive party. And since, uh, so then and most of the progressives ended up leaving the Republican Party and followed Taft to this progressive party. Now, because of this, the Republican Party, um, which had been a progressive party, you know, Roosevelt had been kind of pulling them that way, ended up staying mostly a, a strictly typical conservative campaign with Taft. They ran a very conservative campaign and stayed away from those progressive issues because that is what Roosevelt ran on in the Progressive Party. So the Progressive Party was started by Roosevelt and it was nicknamed the Bull Moose Party, which is what maybe you've heard it called before, because Teddy Roosevelt said he was as fit as a bull moose. Governor Hiram Johnson of California was his running mate, and they ran on a platform called a New Nationalism Platform, and um, which were um, kind of focused on these nine different things. Um, they called for limits to campaign contributions, a national health service, social insurance for the elderly, unemployed, and disabled, minimum wage for women, an eight-hour workday, farm relief, workers' comp, income tax, women's suffrage, a direct election of senators, because senators weren't elected at that time by the people, primary elections, reductions in tariffs or taxes, um, a lot of things that actually have come to pass nowadays, and some things that some people would call socialism at the time, but um, that's what they, the Progressive Party really favored. Teddy Roosevelt also favored a really strong military. And certainly with, at this time, World War I had not started yet, but you could certainly see uh, a conflict rising in the future. So that was the Progressive Party and their new nationalism. 
Now, the Democratic Party nominated who Teddy Roosevelt considered a very formidable candidate and the one person he did not want the Democrats to nominate, and, and that was uh, ended up being Woodrow Wilson. But um, as people entered the Democratic National Convention, there was no candidate that had enough delegates. As Woodrow Wilson, who was the governor of New Jersey, was a front runner along with the speaker, speaker of the House, Champ Clark. It's kind of a pretty cool name, Champ Clark. I'm actually just curious. I didn't write this down earlier. I wonder if that's, that was his given name. I'm looking it up right now. It was not his given name. His name was James. It's a pretty boring name, so I can understand why he'd want to go with Champ. Um, unfortunately for Champ, though, he was not the champion of the Democratic National Convention. Even though he led early on, Williams, uh, William Jennings Bryan, who had been the Democratic nominee uh, multiple times, and, but had lost elections, including to, um, you know, McKinley. Um, he had, even though he, him, William Jennings Bryan, him himself, was not running, um, he was really big in the party. And he ended up throwing his support behind Woodrow Wilson. And then that ended up putting uh, Wilson over the top over Clark. It took 46 ballots for Wilson to be nominated, which is the most since 1860. But Woodrow Wilson defeated Champ Clark for the Democratic nomination. And he ran under what was called the New Freedom um, Platform, which he called for tariff reform, again, taxes, business reform, and banking reform. Those are his big three things. And lastly, there was, a, there was the Socialist Party, which was run by Eugene, um, Eugene Debs. Um, he wasn't really considered having a chance to win. And indeed, he would win zero electoral votes. But I think it's important to mention him because people leave him out when they talk about the 1912 election. So as the campaigning got going on, uh, a very famous... Uh, Part of the campaign was when Teddy Roosevelt was almost assassinated. And that happened on October 14th, so within a month of the election. He was shot in the chest, entering a car before giving a speech. His assassin, or attempted assassin, was a guy named John Schrank, who said he saw the ghost of William McKinley come to him in a dream and asked him to avenge his death by killing Teddy Roosevelt. Clearly, that guy was insane. Um, but what saved Roosevelt was the bullet. Um, it ended up lodging in his chest, but it, it, it hit um, his steel eyeglass case and went through his 50-page speech that was folded. And so that really um, slowed the impact. And so it did get lodged in his chest. Um, you know, Teddy himself, though, deduced that because he wasn't bleeding from the mouth, that the um, bullet wasn't in his lung. So he figured he was okay, which I, mean, I guess he was as okay as he could be before getting shot. The crowd tried to kill the um, assassin, but Roosevelt demanded that he be brought to him. So they actually brought the assassin to him, and he asked him why he did it. <laughs> Can't imagine that. But... Um, Anyways, and then they took him away. Teddy Roosevelt told the crowd he was fine. He was so fine, he gave a speech that lasted 84 minutes. I don't know what's more impressive, just coming up with an 84-minute speech and 
keeping the crowd on their toes or the fact that he did it while being shot. Certainly nowadays, they would just take you to the hospital right away and wouldn't let you give the speech. But he gave the speech. And then he went to the hospital later and he decided to, um, the, the doctor decided to leave the bullet in because probing the wound is what ended up giving McKinley the infection that killed him in his assassination attempt, which we talked about two episodes ago. So he carried that bullet for him for the rest of his life. Um, Taft and Wilson suspended their campaigns while um, Roosevelt recovered. Um, his attempted assassin was ruled insane and, and spent the last 29 years of his life in an insane asylum. Insane hospital, excuse me. Something else that was interesting that happened was on October 30th, which was in a week of the election. Um, so, again, Roosevelt was fine, was recuperating. As that was going on, the vice president of the United States, the, so Taft's running mate, James Sherman, died. He was quickly re replaced on the ticket by Columbia President Nicholas Butler. Uh, you just kind of think about those things now, like certainly when people didn't live as long as they, as they do now, like there were, especially in the 1800s, people running for office that died during the campaign or running makes that died. That's not something you really see right now, but can you just imagine in this next election if that happened? So like, you know, it sounds like Joe Biden's gonna run again. Can you imagine if like, he died while running, or Kamala Harris died, or whoever the Republican nominee, if they died or their running mate died. That's just something we don't even think about, but that happened um, a lot more routinely than you would think over 100 years ago. Anyways, on to the election. So this is actually the first election to have all 40, the lower 48 states in the election. It was also the only election where three people who at some point served as president ran for the presidency. So Woodrow Wilson would end up winning the election with 41% of the votes after Taft and Roosevelt split the votes. I think it's pretty probable that um, had just Taft been running or just Roosevelt been running that they would have probably won and Wilson wouldn't have been elected. Roosevelt did end up having more votes than uh, Taft. He had 27% of the vote and Taft had 23 Wilson, though, from an electoral standpoint, really romped. He had 435 electoral votes. Teddy Roosevelt had 88. Taft had 8. And Debs, as I said earlier, had 0. This is the only election since 1860 where four candidates got 5% of the vote and a third party outperformed one of the other two parties. So, again... You had the sitting president finish third in an election where a man, in this case Teddy Roosevelt's, third party, new party, beat him. Wilson won with a lower percentage of the popular vote than any president since Lincoln. And Taft had the lowest electoral vote and popular vote of any incumbent president, which honestly I am sure will probably never be matched again. This was just a really unique situation. Um, only 12 states had a candidate win a majority or over 50% of the votes. Wilson won a majority in 11 of the former 12 Confederate states, so that's solid South. That's what really helped Wilson win. All that solid South pretty much voted for him, and he picked off enough Northern states to really win, whereas with the Republican Party split, there was almost no way for them to gain enough votes to win. Um... Teddy Roosevelt won South Dakota. This is the other state that a candidate won a majority of the votes. 
This is the first time since 1852, so 60 years, that Iowa, Maine, New Hampshire, Ohio, or Rhode Island voted Democrat. This was the first time Massachusetts voted Democrat. And the Democrats won Maine in this election. And they wouldn't win Maine again until 1964. So this is kind of a crazy election. A lot of unique things happened. So a couple what-ifs about this election. Um, really looking back on this election, Teddy Roosevelt's only chance to win was for Taft to bow out and just give Teddy the nomination. Um, because Teddy Roosevelt really didn't have a chance to win without the Republican Party backing the old guard of the Republican Party. And Taft wasn't going to do that. Taft really, from what I read, was fine with not being president, but he wasn't going to be bullied out of it by somebody. So that was really, as well as Teddy did as a third party, that really he had no chance to win unless Taft um, bowed out. Now this election had huge consequences for the, the U.S. and the, uh, the world because World War I would start in 1914. Now the U.S. didn't join until 1917. I don't think there's any doubt in, in my mind that if... If Roosevelt was president in 1914, when World War I started, I truly feel the U.S. is probably in the war before 1917, knowing how much of a war, kind of blood, as they talk on the documentary, a bloodlust that Teddy had, he would probably be, got the U.S. into the war. And you just kind of wonder, how different would things have been? Would it have lasted till 1918? Would it have outlasted longer? Would have lasted shorter, you know, what, what would have happened, you know, and what things would have been different. Would the war ended differently so you, Russia wouldn't have gone communist? Because they'd have that Russian revolution there that um, they ended up overthrowing the Tsar and Russia went communist. Is there a way that that could have not happened? Maybe not. What about Germany? Could the war have ended in a way so that Germany um, wouldn't have taken the blame for everything and then Hitler wouldn't have had his rise? A decade later. You never know. Maybe things would have been the same. I think it's, it's just tough to tell. But I think if you look at what ifs in history, which I, that stuff just intrigues me, I think the 1912 election is one of those. And I just kind of wonder if Roosevelt would have won this election, how different things would have been. But instead, he becomes, he's defeated um, in a presidential election, and he would never serve as president again. So Roosevelt losing the 1912 election kind of leads into my, my second interesting topic that I want to talk about. And that is his scientific um, expedition that he went to in the Amazon. Um, which was uh, very interesting and almost killed him, honestly. So... Um, we're going to talk about the Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition, which was from December 1913 until April of 1914. So after Roosevelt's loss in the 1912 election, he really tried to figure out where to, where to put his efforts into what to do next. And he was going to go on a speaking tour when the government of Brazil suggested he go on this um, scientific expedition to explore the previously unknown River of Doubt. Now, the River of Doubt was discovered by um, Candido Rondon, who was a Brazilian 
military officer and an explorer of the Amazon basin. And he was going to, and Rondon was going to explore this river, which hadn't been discovered by, uh, obviously, Europeans. Obviously, the native peoples who had lived there, um, the Cinta Larga, had obviously, quote-unquote, discovered it. But this was the first time that, essentially, Europeans would have um, looked at it. Um, all in all, this would, expedition would have 100 men, both Brazilian and American, and travel over 2,500 miles. Now, Rondon, who would be the co-leader on the expedition, along with Roosevelt, is considered the greatest explorer of the tropics in modern history. He participated in over a dozen expeditions in Brazil, wilderness, and for the most part, this was unknown territory to non-native or non-indigenous peoples. He mapped, he built roads and bridges, and he made peaceful contact with indigenous groups. Now, Rondon himself was an indigenous person, which allowed him to have a lot of success. And he himself spoke four European languages and six indigenous languages. So he spoke ten languages, which is just crazy to me. I kind of wonder if when you speak that many languages, do you like dream in a different language every night? I don't know how you keep all that in your head. So kudos to Rondon here. Um, he also became a marshal in the Brazilian army. He's a big promoter of scientific awareness of the Amazon and also its peoples. He would end up publishing more than 100 scientific papers and discovered new species. He also promoted indigenous peoples and their cultures. And he founded the Indian Protection Service. And he fought to defend native people from encroachment. He also constructed telegraph lines across Brazil. So a very accomplished person. Now, even though this is considered the Roosevelt Expedition, Roosevelt really deferred to Rondon and his expertise on the trip, which Rondon demanded this to be a very serious scientific trip. He didn't want this to be just the glory of going down a river, which is more than what Roosevelt wanted. He wanted this to be um, a serious scientific expedition. Now, no one knew how long this river was, and that's why they was called the River of Doubt. Um principal focus of the trip was to map the terrain. And Roosevelt was really well aware that he, it was a good possibility he was going to die during this expedition or could die. Which is why his son Kermit accompanied him um, at the insistence of their mother. Now, it took them almost two months to get to the actual River of Doubt to travel there. And of the 100 men, only 22 men actually went down the River of Doubt. The mapping was um, just a huge challenge. They had to stop approximately 100 times a day to measure, um, cor um, correctly measure their distances while advancing about 7 or 10 miles a day. And this caused a lot of friction between Roosevelt and Rondon. Ro Roosevelt really wanted to get down the river as fast as possible. He still had political aspirations. He wanted to win the presidency in 1916. And... Obviously, this would give him a large amount of glory. Rondon, on the other hand, had waited about five years for this moment to explore, and he wanted to take his time with it. So I don't blame him. Now, the expedition quickly became challenged because the River of Dow is a very challenging river. There's a lot of series of rapids and waterfalls on the river, and there's some very intense portages. So portages, if you're not familiar with that, um, is when you have to carry your canoes out of the water and carry them essentially on your shoulders and walk across um, 
land until you can get the canoe to a, a more passable spot to um, to paddle, to row, because there might be rapids or something else. I actually did this back in when I went to the Boundary Waters about 14 years ago. Uh, a lot of fun, but um, carrying a canoe was a very... Um, very challenging, especially for a guy who is not known for his strength. Um, but anyways, the very intense portages here um, in the River of Doubt. Now, on, on March 15th, Kermit and two others were taken by rapids and their canoes were overturned. And, that, and it killed one of them while they also lost their supplies. There is some controversy on this. Uh, Rondon had yelled at Kermit to, to pull off. Um, one person claims Kermit didn't hear him. Another person claims Kermit ignored the order to keep going. But one person died because of that. But the biggest, one of the bigger problems was the native tribe, the Sinta Larga tribe, who shadowed them their whole trip. At one point, they killed Rondon's dog. And really, the tribe could have killed the whole expedition. Because they, they lived in the jungle. They knew all about the jungle. Um... Of course, they knew about the jungle. They were obviously, um, uh, when that's your home, you know, you have the advantage. That's your home territory. And they could have, if they wanted to, swooped in and killed the whole expedition. Um, but they didn't. They just kind of watched them the whole time. But the expedition was certainly spooked by them and knew they were being watched because they would continually come upon fresh footprints. Um, they'd hear rustling in the woods. Dogs would be barking at an unseen presence so this tribe followed them the whole time the canoes proved to be ill-suited to the river and most of them were lost or broken so they had to make new ones the food provisions proved to be inadequate and they were on very very low diets and not bringing in much caloric value at all throughout the day so they lost a lot of weight most were sick the whole time as well because disease was rampant and some began to doubt that they would ever make it out alive from this expedition. Now, during one incident during the trip, Roosevelt jumped into the water to save some expedition members who were um, stuck in the water. And he actually fell and gashed his leg on a jagged rock and it became infected, which is maybe the worst thing you want to have out in the middle of nowhere. His temperature rose to 105 degrees as he was affected by malaria. He was near death for the rest of the trip, and he lost a quarter of his body weight, which I think was about 55 pounds. Now, he carried a lethal dose of morphine with him on this trip because he didn't want to be a burden, and he was prepared to take that if he needed to. Uh, but he didn't because he feared that um, making his son, he knew if he killed himself, that Kermit would still bring his body out. And he knew that would probably kill Kermit. So he ended up not killing himself um, because of that. But, it, but because of the effect on his body, he never recovered from this trip. He infamously said that the couple months in the Amazon took a decade off of his life. He actually only died five years later. So just wrecked his body. Eventually, when they came upon a route that looked impossible... Rondon proposed to abandon their canoes and just hike into the mountains to try to get out of there. And many thought this was a death sentence. It might have really well been. 
Kermit disagreed and he used his engineering skills to find a better way to get the canoes through the canyon that lay ahead and his plan worked. And so in early April, so anyway, so that ended up working and they were able to make some progress. Maybe the worst incident on the whole trip happened in early April when um, a man named Manuel Vicente, um, you know what, I'm um, going to struggle pronouncing his last name, so I'm not even going to try. I should have checked that. I apologize. But early April, one of the men in the expedition caught another man in the expedition stealing food and also not carrying his weight. Um, and not long after confronting him, that person was killed by the person he confronted. And so, again, you had one person in the expedition caught another person for stealing food. That person who stole food retaliated by killing the other person and then um, just shot him. The person who shot the guy ran into the jungle and was never seen again. He probably died pretty quickly. So from this trip, you had three people die. You had the one that drowned in the, in the river, the one that was murdered, and the one that ran into the woods and was never seen again. Eventually, the expedition um, came upon some rubber trappers who helped them find a way home. And they were able to make it out and back out on April 26th. Um, and they ended up, doctors ended up operating on Teddy Roosevelt without anesthetic. The River of Doubt proved to be over 1,000 miles long. So 1,000 miles long. Um, so that's about half the length of the Mississippi River. Um, Rondon, you know, would live to be 92. He died in 1958 and he would go on a dozen or more missions. Like I said earlier, Teddy Roosevelt ended up only living five more years. Now, later people actually questioned whether Roosevelt actually made the trip. People doubted that he actually did that. He ended up putting on a speaking engagement to prove that he did, which mostly silenced the critics. And then in 1927, a British explorer led his own trip down the river and confirmed Roosevelt's discovery. So it was a very successful trip. It was a dangerous trip. It was a trip that almost killed them, but it um, was able to map the River of Doubt, which is renamed the Rio Roosevelt in Teddy Roosevelt's honor, and brought a lot of scientific discoveries to the world, including the, and also the contact with the Cinta Larga tribe. Now, I mentioned earlier that the this tribe uh, did not attack or murder the Roosevelt Rondon expedition members, even though they could have. But pretty much since then, this tribe has had very violent encounters with some intruders. In one incident, there was a rubber firm that hired men to kill 3,500 of the indigenous population to so they could mine or, or they could collect resources. They ended up dropping dynamite on villages and using machine guns to kill the indigenous people. But also, as recently as 2004, the, the native people of the Cinta Larga tribe actually killed 29 miners who were illegally unearthing diamonds. And so there's been violent encounters both ways there with this tribe as people are encroaching on their land. Fortunately for Roosevelt, um, they were peaceful during their expedition. So really one of the great accomplishments of his life in that exhibition, expedition's life 
is this mapping of the real, now what's called the real Roosevelt. And so with that, I just want to do a quick wrap up of Teddy Roosevelt before we move on to our third thing. Because like I said, Roosevelt, Teddy wouldn't live much longer. And so in 1916, um, he declined, declined the progressive nomination and actually urged them to vote Republican to defeat Woodrow Wilson, which was a shock to some people in the progressive movement. And 1916 is actually a really close election. Um, Woodrow Wilson won re-election um, against Charles Evans Hughes, 277 to 254, who is a former justice of the Supreme Court, had um, one state flipped in California, had three 3,700 votes flipped, Hughes would have won the election. But Woodrow Wilson gets reelected. The Progressive Party ended up disappearing and is mostly known for that 1912 election. Uh, when World War I broke out, Congress actually gave Teddy Roosevelt approval to raise four divisions, just like the Rough Riders who served in World War I. And so, again, Teddy Roosevelt, this great Spanish-American war hero, wanted to raise divisions and serve, go out there and serve in World War I. Um, Wilson refused to send him and the Rough Riders, and he has instead built the American Expeditionary Force under General John Pershing, or Pershing excuse me, which, if you remember, fought at um, San Juan Heights with Roosevelt in the Spanish-American War. Now, Teddy Roosevelt never forgave Roosevelt, uh, Wilson for not letting him fight in World War I. In my opinion, you know, there's no doubt that Teddy Roosevelt was out of touch with military tactics. World War I was a lot different than the Spanish-American War. First off, because the U.S. just completely outnumbered the Spanish in that war, but also because of the tactics and the military advancements. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, in my opinion, probably would have been killed in World War I had he tried to go out and serve. Um, so, after that, um, he was... Um, in 1919, he was planning on um, winning the Republican nomination again in 1920 and becoming president again in 1920. Still was trying to get back in for that third term. But before he could run, he ended up dying in his sleep in 1919. And the famous quote by one of his sons was, Death had to take him in his sleep, otherwise there would be a fight. So Roosevelt, who was the youngest president in U.S. history still is the youngest president in U.S. history, who became president um, at the age of is it 42. i got to double-check that. Let me do some quick math here. Yep, at the age of 42, ended up dying um, just at 60 years old, um, which is uh, even was, was young then. And I think they said in the documentary that he was like a high-wattage light bulb that burns brightly but then finally just burns out. Um, and that might have been true with Roosevelt, but I certainly think that that expedition really took a lot out of him. And maybe if he isn't going to the, the Amazon expedition, he maybe lives until he's 70. Who knows? Maybe he wins in 1920. I kind of doubt that he would have won in 1920 um, himself, the, the, the presidency of the United States. But there in 1919, um, um, Teddy Roosevelt dies. Um, Considered one of the best presidents at his death, and still is. He's definitely ranked in in the top ten. Some would even put him in the top five. But Teddy Roosevelt, here now, um, again, president, uh, war hero, is, is dead. 
And this documentary will now certainly shift where it's been pretty much dominated by talking about Teddy Roosevelt is now going to shift to talk more about Franklin Roosevelt and then eventually Eleanor Roosevelt. So that's probably going to be the wrap-up on the Teddy Roosevelt part in this series. Uh, and now we're going to shift a little bit more towards Franklin Roosevelt. So this brings us to the last topic we're going to talk about, and that is Franklin Delano Roosevelt and what uh, his early political career in the 1910s. And we haven't necessarily talked a whole lot about FDR in the first two episodes, even this episode, and that's because this documentary has really focused a lot on Teddy Roosevelt, which makes a lot of sense. Um, he was obviously the older and the more prominent figure in the 1800s, and early 1900s, and we haven't been able to talk a whole lot about FDR, and even to an extent Eleanor Roosevelt either, which, um, however, with, with obviously Teddy's death here in 1919, the rest of the podcast is going to focus a little bit more on, obviously, Franklin and Eleanor and what they've done, um, and we probably won't mention Theodore that much going forward, although we might talk a little about his kids and, and um, you know, what would they do in World War Two especially. But let's, I just want to take a brief amount of time here and talk about FDR's early political career. You know, how did he rise to become president eventually? Well, after college, uh, Franklin took a job in a prestigious law firm, but made it pretty clear to anyone who would listen that he had no interest in a law career. He wanted to get into politics. So in 1910, Roosevelt ran for the New York State Senate seat in a predominantly Republican district. And he ran an aggressive campaign, going door-to-door, meeting uh, pretty much as many people as possible, driving around in an automobile, which was a pretty rare luxury at the time, but of course he could afford. And he was able to uh, be elected in 1910, partly because of his campaign, but also because of uh, the Democratic landslide in, in 1910 that occurred. And he was just 28 years old when he was elected to the state senate in 1910. Uh, and, and really the, the main thing he was known for, he'd end up spending about three years in the state senate, he was known for going up against Tammany Hall. And now Tammany Hall was the major democratic political machine in New York. So political machines, they, they kind of run things, they back the candidates. And by backing certain candidates that get elected, those candidates then essentially do the will of the political machine. So an aspiring politician typically was looking to get into the good graces of the, the political machine so that their careers could be furthered. Now, FDR actually went against the machine on a number of things. And, and from his perspective, it makes a lot of sense because... Uh, political machines like Tammany Hall can be very corrupt. Um, and and so if you go up against um, a machine that can gain you support from voters for being an independent thinker, what also helped, but the reason why Franklin could really do that was because he was independently wealthy. You know, he was able to fund his own campaigns if need be and didn't necessarily need the backing of Tammany Hall. So it was pretty uh, an astute, smart political move from his perspective. Um, and so the big fight he got into with Tammany Hall was Tammany Hall had their own hand-picked person they wanted to become New York senator. 
And as I said earlier, senators were not voted for by um, an election uh, as they are today, voted by the people. They were picked by um, the state legislator. And so Tammany Hall wanted a certain senator or a different number of candidates up for the job. And Roosevelt, as well as 19 other Democrats, objected to who they picked and fought against it and essentially blocked those nominations until eventually they were able to compromise on a candidate. And this fight really raised his profile among New York Democrats. So it really did the job he was hoping for and helped again continue to make a name. And certainly someone like Roosevelt, who has the name Roosevelt, and everybody knows he's the cousin of the former president, that didn't hurt either. Now, he, uh, that was in 1910, 1911. He also opposed Tammany Hall in 1912 in the election, uh, the U.S. presidential election that I had talked about earlier. He supported Governor Woodrow Wilson for the Democratic nomination. And this also ended up proved shrewd and beneficial to his career when Wilson was elected because then um, he, FDR was end up, ended up being named the Assistant Secretary of the Navy in 1913, just like Teddy Roosevelt had been a couple of decades earlier. So his opposition to Tammany Hall um, was kind of what his, his, he's pretty well known for when he was in the New York State Assembly. And it, it, proved, it proved smart. He, he developed a reputation of fighting the political machines. And it also helped him in his career, in this case, supporting Wilson, got him to be appointed to as Assistant Secretary of the Navy. So he was appointed in 1913, and he was only, he was really young um, when that happened, about 32. Um, he was second in command to Josephus Daniels. Daniels was the actual Secretary of the Navy. And Daniels dealt with kind of the general policy and congressional matters, while FDR was left to deal with personnel, operations, contracts, kind of the, the day-to-day stuff. And this proved hugely beneficial to him when he was later president of the United States because he knew how those departments worked. And they talked about in the documentary how, you know, he knew where money was hidden when he was president because he was that person hiding money back when he was um, young, working in, in a, a department. And so th- this was a, a pretty great experience for him to deal with. He was given a lot of latitude by Daniels. Um, now, one thing FDR was at odds with the Wilson administration was when World War I started, how prepared to be. FDR was a huge proponent of being prepared, you know, building a stronger Navy, and being ready and having a plan, because he he did call this war the greatest war the world um, would ever see, is what his prediction was to Eleanor when the war broke out. And he certainly expected to be drawn into the war. The U.S. would be drawn into the war, not unlike, you know, 20, 25 years later when he felt like the U.S. would inevitably get drawn into World War II. Wilson, on the other hand, his administration preached neutrality. And so he was at odds with them over that. And so he actually tried to run for the New York Senate in 1914 and hoping to kind of get a more national profile and fight this neutrality policy in the federal government as a senator. But 
FDR ended up losing um, the, the the Democratic primary um, when Tammany Hall backed a different opponent. And Wilson actually backed this opponent because Wilson knew he needed the support of Tammany Hall for his re-election in 1916. So you see political machines, um, very important. People would a lot of times bow to them so they could, down the road, um, get something in return in their own right. So, so this was a situation where FDR lost because of his battle with Tammany Hall, was earlier going against them, had raised his profile. You know, later, eventually, FDR would reconcile with Tammany Hall, and that would help his political career later. Now, once the war began, World War I, uh, or excuse me, when the U.S. entered World War I in 1917, he did request to serve overseas as a naval officer, which is something that Teddy kind of pushed Eleanor to get Franklin to do, but Wilson refused to send Franklin overseas to war because he deemed him too valuable in Washington to give up. Now, he would later visit France in 1918 during the war, and he actually did come within a mile of the German lines. So he was able to, he wasn't in combat, he was able to just observe some things out in France. Now, on the way back, uh, from this trip, he was stricken with influenza, as was a lot of people on his ship. And this was during the, the, the influenza pandemic of 1918. And a lot of people died from his ship that were stricken with it. He developed double pneumonia, but fortunately for him, he did survive. Obviously, as we know that, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. And he recovered and he set his eyes on the 1920 election for the next step in his political career, probably as a, a vice presidential candidate is what he was thinking at the time. So that was um, the 1910s for Franklin Roosevelt and his rise through politics. Um, certainly could have him the name, as I said earlier, help. But he worked in New York state politics and then as a second assistant secretary of the Navy. And then here he is going into the 1920s, hoping he can continue to ascend meet his goal of becoming president of the United States. Now, one other thing to mention about Franklin before we kind of wrap up this podcast is that Franklin did have numerous affairs. And it's interesting because when they talked about Franklin and Eleanor getting married in the, in the second episode, um, despite the fact that Franklin said he was infatuated and in love with Eleanor, he did go on and have numerous, numerous affairs, which... Is just puzzling, certainly to me now, and 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 uh, something that I can't really quite comprehend. But he had numerous affairs, and one that was discovered was when he was on his return from France, and he was sick and bedridden. Um, Eleanor found letters from a former lover named Lucy Mercer, and Lucy Mercer was actually Eleanor's former social secretary, and Mercer had worked. For Eleanor from 1914 to 1917 before she was either fired or she quit. It's not quite sure what happened. After she left working for Eleanor, she signed up to work in the U.S. Navy office and was actually assigned to FDR's office, which clearly was probably not coincidental. Um, Eleanor was devastated by this affair. Um, I think she was certainly pretty self-conscious about herself, which the documentary has pointed out many times. And this was just a huge blow to her marriage with FDR. And really going forward, the, their marriage became 
a just more of a political partnership as opposed to an actual marriage. And you might you might wonder, well, why did they not get divorced? Why did they not just move on? Well, certainly as a hundred years ago, uh, there's a more of a stigma of getting divorced, and in some cases, a lot harder to get a divorce. Eleanor offered FDR a divorce, but FDR's mom, Sarah, said that he should not do that because it would absolutely end his political career. And she would also cut him off from his fortune if she if he accepted a divorce from Eleanor. So thus, he stayed married, married to Eleanor, and they stayed married until his death a few decades later. But like I said, it was more of a political partnership than a marriage. And she did prove, as we'll talk about in future episodes, very vital to his political campaign. Very smart, very shrewd politician. And I, I, I would argue indispensable to FDR's career. So that's kind of get, gets us here towards the end of this episode of, of Doc Tell Me More. Uh, I really... You know, appreciate you hanging on and, and listening through that, where we talked about, you know, the election of 1912, um, where Teddy Roosevelt tries to come back into power, and unfortunately for him, was unable to do so. We talked about his Amazon expedition, which from a scientific standpoint was very beneficial, um, had a huge impact on uh, the natural sciences, but also almost killed him, but certainly did um, weaken him his body so that he ended up dying just five years later. And then a little bit here at, at our last segment talking about how, um, you know, Franklin's early political career as well as his affairs and um, his marriage with Eleanor. So uh, again, I really appreciate you listening again, find me on Mastodon at doc, tell me more at mastodon.world. Give me a follow and I will reciprocate. Um, Going forward, I think we've been about three weeks between episodes here. Uh, I was able to have a little bit more time to work on this. And right now, I have about a week and a half left of school uh, before summer break. Again, I'm a teacher. So I'll, I'll be able to maybe record more often or at least have more time to research. And so I like to, you know, put a podcast every three to four weeks, um, ideally. But the next episode will be episode four of Doc, of this Roosevelt's and episode, I think that would be make it 49 is our next episode in Doc Tell Me More, which will look at the 1920s, which will invariably be Roosevelt's polio sickness, his recovery, and then his jump back into politics as New York governor and eventual president. And again, Eleanor's um, rise herself as a um, important figure in American history. And so thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.